Hi, everyone. We're kicking off our second week of our brand new podcast channel, Seriously. I'm here with Nick Farnaby, who's our chief marketing officer, and Ken Sickles, who is our vice president of product strategy. And these two guys today are going to be talking a little bit about shopability. So Nick and Ken, take it away. Thank you, Teresa. Always a pleasure and never a chore. And um, you know what? I'm going to today, I'm not even going to wait for Ken to say the word seriously. I, I just because I am littered with seriously moments today myself. So I figured, um, you know, this is a two way street. Let, let me just share with you my angst of today, of this week, in fact. Right. So my first seriously moment came when I discovered very shortly after purchasing a PlayStation 4 for my son, because he likes running around doing Star Wars games and pretending to be Mace Windu and stuff like that. I find out Sony is bringing out another version of the PlayStation 4 in October. Seriously, right? <laughs> uh, so I, that's, that's where my seriously litany actually begins. And Ken, just hold off for one second, mate, before you weigh in here, because I'm sure you've got plenty of these for yourself. But having you know, accepted my fate in October that I now have to get a 4K PlayStation 4 for my son to replace the inferior option I just purchased. I then discover I have to buy a 4K TV because most of the TVs in my house, notwithstanding the one in my living room, still have a giant box behind them, right? And a cathode ray tube. So I figure I've now got to, I seriously, I have to buy a 4K television. I didn't think this moment was going to come until like 2020, but hey, that's what it is. And then I, I've had my final in the trifecta of seriously moments where, you know, being closer to a BJ's wholesale club than a, a Sam's club or a Costco, um, it's more convenient for me to think about purchasing a Samsung 60 inch, 60, yeah, maybe 60 inch, I'll be big enough. Yeah, 60 is good. TV, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a 4K version, which by the way, isn't cheap. It's like $2,270 or something like that. Well, then I discover I can't even order this thing online properly. The website is atrocious. They don't even have a mobile app. BJ's Wholesale Club, the third largest wholesale club in the country, doesn't have a mobile app. And last time I checked, it's July of 2016. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously so, is right. Well, so I, I mean, like, we're all serious today, right? So, um, Ken, what the hell? So, and here we are. We're supposed to be talking about shopability, right? And all right, I'll, I'll give PlayStation and all those guys their props for forcing me to want to upgrade this stuff because it is what it is. But BJ's, um, it's 2016. If, if you're not even shoppable via a mobile app, what is happening? Ken, can you make some sense of this? Like, now, are they alone? Um, they're probably not alone, um, but they're going to be very, very alone if they don't catch up soon, I think. You know, it is 2016 to your point, and there's just a price of entry to pay if you're going to keep up with consumers and what they demand. And, and having a mobile app these days is one of those uh, prices of entry, you know. Uh, and not only a price of entry, the statistics have shown how much better conversion rates are on pure mobile apps, even versus the mobile web versus the desktop. So, you know, people spend more money when they're on a mobile app than they do when you're on your desktop or your mobile website. So I, I don't know, know what BJ's is thinking. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, you'd have thought that, I mean, maybe there's something happening in the background, right? I was, when, I think we were surfing the website. I saw a company called Web Collage on there that's obviously powering something. 
But you know, you to not have an extremely shoppable mobile app in this day and age, and especially when you've got companies out there like Box Wholesale, who granted are only selling groceries at the moment, but look at their model, look how beautiful that mobile app is. You know, I mean you've yeah. seen that app, right? You've seen those guys. Yeah, um, great. I think they've only been in business a couple of years and they were the guys that were behind words with friends, right? Some of those guys who've never been in retail. Yet their app is rich, it's gorgeous, it's shoppable. Like, how does this happen? How does someone like BJ's miss this? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a tough transition, I think, for traditional retailers in a lot of ways. The boxed wholesale is great, probably because the founders and people running the organization have a really keen eye for what their customers, what their users want and need, and how to respond to those wants and needs. And a lot of retailers just aren't that keen yet on that sort of thing. So they're they're still playing by a lot of the old rules, right? And they're still looking at mobile as a channel, for example. Now, uh -huh. you know, I've never gotten up in the morning and said, honey, I'm going to shop on the mobile channel today as opposed to the in-store channel. I don't know if you have. Um, but I just shop. I shop where I want to shop. I shop where I am. So I think a lot of it is just history that some of these really traditional retailers don't understand the consumer and the experience they're looking for as well as they probably could. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I mean, this kind of reminds me of the topic we thought we'd talk about today even more. Shopability is really becoming not just about having a presence or a channel, but it's about making products shoppable just about everywhere, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying retail is going away. I'm not saying e-commerce is going away. I'm not saying you're not going to always have a site or a mobile app. But it's, it would seem that there's some serious shifts happening in, in the shoppability world around, for example, social networks, right? I mean, what were the, we saw Facebook's results last night. What did they make, like $20, $29 billion? Like 1.65 billion users and products are finding you on Facebook and those products are inherently shoppable, right? I don't think yeah. they're alone, right? I mean, I, we saw back in May at the Shop Talk conference, we saw Google announce image search results are now shoppable. That means manufacturers and retailers need to have all of the things around that product to make it shoppable when someone's searching for it or it's attached to a YouTube video, right? Yeah. Um, so there's some big, I, I guess we're seeing this Shoppability is this redefinition of the channel. Uh, I guess it's a channelless world, right? I mean, or it's other yeah. people's channels where your products have to be pervasive, right? I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's all about um, finding the consumer where they are instead of assuming the consumer is going to come to you, and making your product and/or services available to the consumer at that point. And I think what it really, really represents is a big opportunity for the industry as much of a threat. You know, because if you can, as a retailer, someone selling the product, if you can make the products that you have for sale equally visible on some sort of voice interface like Siri as a messaging slash bot interface like on Facebook Messenger or WeChat or whatever it might be, as well as in some augmented reality application like we talked about with Pokemon Go last week, yeah. um, you know, as well as some kiosk that a, a customer may be standing at, at at some sort of, I don't know, sales conference, if it's business-to-business -business software even. So, you know, making your product shoppable, to me, in a lot of ways, making means making it available where the buyers of that product potentially are going to be. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a whole lot more places today 
than just mobile web and in store. Um, and it'll probably be a whole lot more places tomorrow even. So I think it's all about opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's so many options now for taking a shoppable product and then proliferation, right? I mean, you, you got Google image search results we talked about, they're now shoppable. So you know, you're searching for something, whether it's an item of clothing or a GoPro camera, and up come the image search results, and I can buy this thing. The best buy is putting the product into the image search results with Google, as mm -hmm. are a number of other retailers, even the manufacturer themselves, right? You've, I mean, and honestly, I feel Google was late to that party. I think Pinterest probably was already there, right, with their yeah. buy now pins. Um, I think Twitter was probably also a little bit late to the game, but it doesn't matter anymore because if you add up all of these social networks' eyeballs, um, that's a huge arena for folks who make their product shoppable, right? Um, right. And, and I, I guess this um, this buy button economy um, I'm hearing a lot about today, it doesn't seem like it's really taken off massively yet in terms of using these new platforms, but I think it was you, Ken, that took me to a conference last October when we saw this nascent company called Button really making some inroads. Uh, it would yeah. seem that if I was selling products, I might talk to someone like them because they can make all my products instantly shoppable anywhere, yeah. right, I guess? Yeah, a ton of respect for the guys at Button. I think they're doing a tremendous job. Uh, the gals at Button, too, sorry. Uh, I, <laughs> I think they're a great example, though, of, of the opportunity. And I, and I do think that we're starting to see more and more usage around this sort of thing because, you know, they understand the power of context and what the power of context means to being shoppable. So, you know, one of my favorite things that I actually use now, uh, speaking of a button and buy buttons in general, is when I'm in Foursquare, which is, you know, by far and away become my default mechanism for finding a venue to go to, whether it's to eat or to have drinks or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, there's now that omnipresent get a ride there with Uber button. So, you know, I'm, I've found a place to go, which is obviously not where I'm currently at. So, you know, Foursquare, Button, and Uber knew there's context there that, hey, someone's trying, is, has found this place. They're going to need to get there. So there's a little button that says get a ride there with Uber. And when you press that, it summons an Uber to your current location, right, completely frictionless. But what Uber has done has made their service incredibly shoppable for me by putting it where I need it and when I might actually need it, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's a great example of shoppability and the power that context uh, provides for something being shoppable. Completely agree. And I think the other thing I've noticed, like the other couple of big channels that seem to be opening up, I think, I think Facebook and uh, Apple are dominating the messaging platform space, right? Um, yeah. And I think the other thing we noticed when we started to look at this topic of shoppability was how these messaging platforms, I think somewhere maybe in the middle of 2015, Facebook announced that their, their messaging platform was open for business, right? Yeah. And they started to talk about these crazy little apps. They call them bots. Who cares what they call them? I mean, <laughs> but in the end, they're, they're putting e-commerce into the conversation. And I think it was only maybe three weeks ago also at the Worldwide Developer Conference for Apple, when they previewed iOS 10, they literally just copied Facebook, right? I mean, it seemed like they had a really slick example where you and I could be deciding with our team what sandwich we'd like to order for lunch from, yeah. Chris Knox or whoever. And then we use this app called DoorDash where we just say, hey, who wants what? And then within 
just in the bubble, in the speech bubbles of via message, I can have that conversation with all my friends. I can order the sandwich, yeah. and I can transact cashless uh, with Apple Pay, right? So right. if anyone saw that demo as a retailer or a food service business, they must be standing up and going, oh, my God, like, I have to be part of this, right? Because yeah. I mean, who doesn't use iMessage, right? Apart from me, because I've got a Samsung Galaxy Note, but like, who doesn't use iMessage, right? Yeah, well, they've sold a billion devices, right? A billion iPhones have been sold as a couple of days ago, so there's certainly a lot of people out there using it, and I think it's a it's another good example. These messaging platforms around the context they provide to making things shoppable. So imagine, Nick, you know, you looking for that TV. Had you sent a message to me via Facebook Messenger? That said, hey Ken, you know, I know you got a 4K TV recently. What brand, what model did you buy? What did you think about it? So on and so forth. And as soon as I respond to you, right, the ability for a retailer uh, using a bot to, to come into that conversation and say, hey, do you want to buy this now? We have it for sale. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that is shoppability. I don't know what's more shoppable than that. And it's and it's a very natural um, kind of it's not, it's not an intrusion, but it's a natural introduction of the product um, yeah. into a, a place where there's context for it to happen. So it's, it's not really annoying. It's more of a convenience for you. And yeah. when you think about everything that has to happen, right, in, in order for that to work, um, you know, it, it starts, the retailer has to have a lot of information about the product in this case um, or service in the case of the, uh, the Grubhub example or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of well, that has to come all the way from the manufacturer, right? So if the manufacturer isn't providing a retailer with all of the content and data behind their TV, the retailer won't know, in that case, to introduce this product via the bot to our conversation that we're yeah. actually having. It um, seems crazy. I mean, it almost seems crazy. I mean, as a manufacturer, this is a moment in time where they can seize back a lot of this control over the top line growth of their products. I would have thought not all of it because these big retail stores aren't going away, right? These retailers are doing a good job. But I mean, if I'm a manufacturer, I'm thinking, well, hang on, someone's on Google. They're searching for a GoPro Hero 4 Black, right? And up come the results. And then I can buy it, but from Best Buy, what right. the heck? I mean, like, what, what's the relevancy of Best Buy at that point in time? Are they trading on trust? Are they trading on the Geek Squad? Maybe, right? But in yeah. the end, if it just had the same exact price point with a warranty and it came from GoPro, you know, I just have yeah. to make sure at GoPro that I'm, I'm, tr I'm tracking all of these shoppable mediums and these shoppable social networks. I can totally disintermediate the retailer and I can, you know, I can claw back that profitability along, alongside that, right? So I don't know. I mean, maybe it's uh, this has always been there in the background, that struggle between the brand the retailer, the volume play versus the, you know, good luck to you on your own, um, the private yeah. label thing, right? But I would have thought this is a moment in time for manufacturers to say, wow, if I make all my products insanely shoppable on all these mediums, maybe I can start funneling my, my, my sales volume a little bit into these channels, right? I mean, it's it's a, probably a 10-year journey, but it's, it's there's a crack in the door right there, I would have thought, right? Yeah, absolutely, and we've already seen, right, um, some traditional manufacturers, and uh, in particular in the CPG space, who who are looking at being a little bit disrupted because of the power that they have as manufacturers now to be shoppable wherever your consumers are, without worrying about a distribution mechanism that is these large box retail stores. And I think that's Dollar Shave Club is probably the great example of that, right? 
That's mm-hmm. a company that started making razors, uh, decent razors at a really good price because they didn't have the overhead of a lot of their competition who have been around for a very, very long time and had enjoyed kind of setting the price on the market and had locked down all the distribution channels by uh, all of the big chain stores. Well, these guys come out and say, you know what, we don't need your big chain stores because we'll take advantage of making our product discoverable and shoppable on a lot of other mediums, you know, the web, mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were early in on Twitter, for example, did a lot of work there. And then they just exited their company for a billion dollars because one of the traditional players said, well, we can't have this anymore. we got to buy these guys. They're going to kill us. So I think it is a good point. It's probably a whole other conversation in itself that, um, you know, these, these manufacturers can start taking control of their destiny, right, and some of their growth as they go forward because they're not as much relying on the, on the core yeah. channels of retail that they had in the past. But I think it's, it's also a warning to the traditional manufacturers that even if you're not doing it uh, as much to drive top-line growth because, you know, it, look, if you've got a billion-dollar product in a category, um, you know, how much can you actually grow it through these channels? Maybe just a few percent. But the reality is if you don't protect your product in that channel, uh, whether that's selling it by a, some sort of bot on a, on a messaging platform, someone else will grab your share in that channel and then eventually mm-hmm. will begin to erode the share that you have in the core distribution channels. So yeah, um, yeah. either way, you know, these manufacturers have to play, I think, um, and it, I mean, they, they may not be wired, right? You're right. I mean, they may not have the skills or be wired to do the brokering that maybe some of the retailers are doing into this new world. Maybe they, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I would have thought that they would. I mean, we should probably start thinking about as we wrap this up. Like, what what are some of the things? Whether you're a manufacturer, um, a marketplace, an e-tailer, a retailer, what are some of the things, some of the baby steps, right, that you need to do to think about making your products hugely shoppable on every medium including this whole new thing right and i would throw the first one i'd throw on the pile right before we get all technical is simply have you even used these mediums yet right um i mean have you even gone online have you downloaded pinterest served a really cool clothing store or an unfinished Californian wood table and then just tap the buy it now button got your credit card out and gone through the transaction right that's what I would recommend a lot of folks do that I recommend just getting on Facebook buying something from the news feed you know buying something from well off Twitter right off one of the something someone retweeted so the very first step would be you've got to experience this stuff to see I think you used this term before Kent to see how uh, uh, some of them are just completely frictionless you know even some of the apps that are out there now don't even have a shopping cart. You just sort of swipe right like you would on Tinder and you've effectively yeah. purchased the product, right? You've set yeah. it up. So I think number one is you've got to get your arms around this stuff and you, and you might want to just waste, you know, $5,000 of just buying a bunch of different category stuff on every single medium. And then I think the penny will drop and you'll start thinking about the practical steps. So how do I make my products more shoppable, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, what do you think, Ken? Like, what would you, beyond obviously getting your hands dirty, what would be some of the first steps you think folks should go through to make their products more shoppable? Yeah, you know, I think you certainly do have to understand it. You can't just ignore it and hope it will go away anymore or say, well, it's too small of a quote-unquote channel for us to worry about. 
um, I think that's just sticking your head in the sand and, and it's not maybe the best idea. Once you get beyond that point and you understand the value and benefit that your consumers can derive, which ultimately you know, means something to your top line and, and hopefully bottom line as a, as a manufacturer or even a retailer, it's all about understanding, I think the thing that powers shoppability, the, the first starting block is content, right? So mm -hmm. if you're a manufacturer, uh, do you have all of the information a consumer might want about your product pulled together in one place, ready to go uh, for that Pokemon Go moment, right? Kind of like McDonald's was as a retailer or a you yeah. know, food service yeah. company in this case uh, with Pokemon Go. But, you know, are you ready for it? Um, I, I think just getting your content together, that's the first place um, that that companies need to start. And it's it's interesting that that has not happened yet widely and broadly. You know, if you think about so, the focus. Define content. So in this context, we're not talking about advertising content, marketing content yet. We're talking about um, product information, product images, that kind of stuff, like the attribution. That yeah, kind of just, just the basic stuff about a product, right? If it's a food product, what allergens does it have? If it's a if it's a television or some sort of electronic product, what are its specifications? And we haven't seen a focus on organizations doing that. You know, we've seen organizations put a lot of money, a lot of money into organizing all of their, let's say, financial information, right? Look how big SAP and Oracle are. We've seen companies put a lot of effort and money and time into organizing all of their customer data and information, Look how big Salesforce has grown. We have not seen that effort yet when it comes to this type of product content that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and that does go beyond the core product information uh, into the marketing information as well. You gotta bring it all together. And yeah. I think that's that's where it starts. If you're not it's doing that. It's be a no-brainer right now. In the, in the old days, perhaps, we didn't have these mediums, we didn't have this kind of scale right. of social networks, we didn't have pervasive shoppability inside messaging platforms, but now we yeah. do. And yeah. now it's like, it's like, hey, look, do you want to sell loads of more stuff? Well, yeah. And so I think they probably have the business right, behind it to start thinking about centralizing all this content, right? Yep. Uh, getting, it into, getting it into a format that is available, and not, not just organized and complete and, and all the images that, that convert sales, but available right, in a format with interfaces that you're right, when Google comes knocking or you go knocking to them, right? Or, yeah. Uh, when Pinterest or when, when Apple says, hey, do you want to make this shoppable in iMessage? It's ready to go, right? Right. Um, yeah. Absolutely right. But then so the other thing, though, is let's think about differentiation. You mentioned Dollar Shave Club, which is a great example. I mean, what they did was not new at all, right? But what they did was they wrapped culture, and they wrapped kind of a millennial culture around that whole yeah. thing that was just compelling, right? They even yeah. sent out cool little newsletters and, they had really like just pithy little messages in the box that you would open, and the box was made of this really cool uh, repurposed cardboard and all that kind of stuff. And they really thought about the culture behind it, right? And I think yeah. maybe in the execution, now once you put your content in one place, it, you know, it, it wouldn't go amiss to perhaps get an agency or even, I think Teresa recommended this to me the other day, just hire a five or six millennials that you don't currently have to hold the mirror of honesty to your face as to, you know, look, you've got the content, but you're really not presenting it to me in a way that I'm getting excited about, right? Yeah. And some, of it, some of it might be about segmenting the market at the same time and creating experience, like shoppable experiences for those personas, right, for these, these new buyers that are out there. 
yeah, understanding your buyers, especially for these traditional CPG companies, and how to how to wrap up and present your product and all of the content and information about it and around it to the buyers uh, is is changing really rapidly. So I think it's a it's a great point that you've you've got to consider that as part of your strategy, right? When it when it comes to distributing and selling your products now, I think uh, the other kind of boring piece that goes along with this, right, is what are the what are the things that are going to happen to your business inside your enterprise walls as far as processes go, right? How are yeah. you going to make sure that the information you've gathered together and ready to go um, is of good enough quality? How are you going to make sure that if you say make this statement about product X, um, someone in legal isn't going to come knocking on your cube door, yeah. you know, five minutes later? All of that sort of stuff has to go kind of hand in hand with this, with whatever technologies that you you decide to bring together to to aggregate this content and make it ready for distribution. Um, so yeah. I, I would say that, you know, the processes, how you're going to position it, how you're going to message it, um, where it's going to be presented and how it's going to be shoppable. Those are, those are just some of the basics today, which is really interesting because I would argue that five to seven years ago, not only were those things six, they were just not even considerations uh, yeah. for most organizations. So it's amazing how rapidly this is changing. I think you just got to be coordinated now, right? And and to be coordinated in a world where you've got all this product information and these interfaces in about 24 places leaves you so far behind. Um, and you know, you, and you're leaving money. It sounds like you're leaving money on the table. If I look at Facebook's earnings, you know, just on the advertising side of things. I mean, once you start to make these things shoppable, and versus just merely um, here's a link to my website. Mm -hmm. Surely, sales acceleration will be it's meteoric, and I think so. I think businesses when yeah. they really get their head around this, and I think it takes those moments. It takes for Pokemon Go to show you um, how these small business sales are now spiking based on right. just traffic, right? And it takes for Apple to make it so slick to order a sandwich inside a you know chat bubble that they go, oh, this is so easy, I could do this, right? So yeah. I think some of it's that, and I think you're right. The repeatability will come. I think people people just will realize I need repeatable infrastructure. When we talk to um, the sports guys, Under Armour, uh, 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 earlier, you know how it's not sexy, but at the end of the day, once you've figured out the recipe, you've got to have the infrastructure to do this at scale to make it repeatable. Um, so I wholeheartedly agree on that one. Well, so I don't know if we've hit our sort of requisite 20 minutes yet, Ken, but we probably have um, talking about shoppability. And I'd love to hear from folks out there in the pod universe. Pod, what do they call the podcast universe? Is there a term for that? I don't know. But if there is, um, I would leave a little teaser because we're going we're gonna to drop a white paper slash blog on this topic of shoppability. And if you want to know what the connection is between shoppability and the movie, The Usual Suspects, you're just going to have to read it. So I shall tease you with that. And then, Ken, is there anything else you want to leave us with on the topic of shoppability before we head off until our next seriously moment? No, you know, one thing I would add is um, if you go to ben-evans.com and take a look at his latest blog post, there's a tremendous video at the bottom of the blog post on what shoppability will mean uh, potentially in the very near future with respect to augmented reality. And um, that, I think that'll give you a great idea of the sorts of user experiences um, that you can start thinking about supporting 
and that users will start to really engage with uh, probably in the not too distant future. So if you guys get a Thanks. chance, check that out. Well, thank you all. And uh, Teresa, I think that's a wrap. Yeah. Um, and just a reminder to all of our listeners out there, you can check out the latest podcast episodes on soundcloud.com.